This is the freestyle way. Well, uh, yeah, let's 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 just start this conversation now. Rolling start. Caroline Burkle, how are you? I'm great. You know, I just want to also say I love the background that you have going right now with all the art. What do you think? I got the eye. I love the eye. I keep looking at the eye. <laughs> the eye is. It's my eye. Focused. <laughs> it's great. It looks very nice. The ambiance. You know, nice and light and bright. Okay. I was actually uh, uh, looking at myself uh, on camera earlier. I was like, man, you look kind of rough right now. Hopefully nobody can <laughs> can tell. You don't look rough. I have wet hair, but you can't tell. So we're All good. right. <laughs> we look great. We feel great. It's going to be amazing. Um, I just thought, uh, just for fun, um, without having to talk about your your amazing resume that we would actually do like an alternative resume uh, exercise. And um, if you could just go back in time from your first memory until right now, uh, give me a few key points in your life that you can remember without including any of your athletic accomplishments. What would be the most memorable uh, moments? This is why you're great because this question is exactly what I need to answer right now. Um, thinking about all the things that are outside of sport. Interestingly enough, I've had quite a few memories lately of being in art class in grade school. So I don't know really why, but it's, um, it's interesting as I'm, you know, if I sketch or if I just go upstairs to my little new and, you know, remodeled art room small room that I make art in, I start to have flashbacks of that exact classroom, the exact things we would sketch, the exact people, exactly where I was. Um, and those are very vivid all of a sudden. It's like a, an extremely clear, crystal clear vision that I had of myself in those moments. And it feels so good because I was able to be myself um, and yeah, it's, you know, how you remember those types of memories and some other things you block out, obviously for various reasons, but that is a very specific memory that I have. And I remember sketching, um, my younger brother, Colin, and then we did a monochromatic painting situation. And that's one of my favorites to this day. I think I posted it several years ago, but, um, that's one core memory that I have that has been sticking out in my mind a lot lately. Uh, oh, gosh, you always come in with the heavy hitter. Good questions. <laughs> I think something else I've been um, having, you know, when you remember things, it's like an image, right? It's like one specific image that you have. And I remember a lot of my childhood was at Lakeside, which was like our the big pool, the big lake, the big rock quarry. And with the coach that raised me, the coach that I had, before swimming was swimming, like the coach that I had when swimming was fun and a place where I could just express myself. And it wasn't this, like, you need to be this person. Um, and it just feels so creative. And so, I mean, if I, if you had a picture of this pool, I think you may have seen it, or I may have showed you at some point, it's this gigantic rock quarry. And it was so incredibly fun and open. And I don't, I don't look back at those times and think 
sports. I look back at that and I think freedom. I think creativity. I think uh, being in the open and being able to just be in nature and experience that. So that's another one. Um, those two, honestly, those two, those two right now, at least in this moment, there may be another one later that, but <laughs> those are, those are two perfect ones. And is there one, uh, that's maybe more recent? I think anything that involves me feeling connected to someone or something. So as you can tell, I'm in a very open space in my in my brain and in my journey of wait a minute who am I again I've already done this identity piece like six different iterations of it in the past 10 years and so you get clearer and clearer with each level that you you know go up or each each process that you go in and, and I've been really realizing the way that I connect the way that I resolve a conflict the way that I I'm able to feel free the way that I function is through calm, intimate connection. And I think that I got away from that for so long because life was chaos and that's what I seeked out. And that was what I lived in. And so now I'm coming back to that space. So, you know, for example, conversations with a friend, you know, at 1 a.m. at the University of Florida, on my closet floor in our in our house like just talking about life and just talking about what else is out there in this world and what else we can do and you know conversations and connection that feels like it was meaningful and slow um a lot of like visions of of during my post swimming career when I lived in Beverly Hills and I was going to fit them in downtown LA, which is Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. And my roommate was a triathlete, professional triathlete, really good, was a former swimmer in college, really good. Her brother was Aaron Pearsall, so happened to be Aaron Pearsall. You probably remember that name, won a ton of gold medals, whatever. And he used to come drive from Austin to stay with us, just live with us. <laughs> Like he would just come with his dogs and hang out for like three months. And those moments, like sitting upstairs in our apartment in the middle of Beverly Hills in this little tiny apartment and watching whatever movie we're all watching and just ordering food and talking and having conversations about the things that matter in life and connections and relationships. And like, that's the stuff that I'm interested in right now because I think as I evolve all of these like stories about my life that I've lived and shared nonstop, it's like, frankly, I'm kind of bored of it. <laughs> not, I don't know if bored's the right word, but it's like, that's not all there is to me and to life. So what are the things that I can draw from that really fulfilled me and filled my cup in that way? So I've been very focused on that lately and just those intimate conversations. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, yeah, so meaningful relationships, it sounds like, is is at the core of the thing that uh, when you think back at any part of your life, uh, performance-oriented or not, 
that that's that's the thing that feels like home. That's the thing that feels good. That's the thing that you, um, if you had a life review type thing, you would want to revisit as maybe the foundation of of your life. And I, just in thinking about, it, I was just doing the the quick math. Uh, everybody um, who has heard of you probably associates your name with. Um, standing on the podium with a gold, uh, with a bronze medal around your neck in 2008 and that being 15 years ago. I mean, that's a long time ago. And uh, you're perfectly uh, young and vital and doing all these things, yet uh, there's still this association with this big accomplishment. And uh, and I guess the identity piece there is is huge. And I know that you've done a ton of work personal level, emotional level, physical level. I'm curious um, today, uh, beyond your exploration of creativity and your love for having meaningful relationships, what are the the things, the, the to-dos that are non-negotiable in your day-to-day life right now? Is it you're out walking your dog? What, what, what are those things? so many good like as you were speaking just now it feels i feel very i know this is cliche but i feel very seen in that statement of like okay this was 15 years ago and there's there's a lot i can go on um on about that but um <laughs> i don't know you know i think it's i think it's um I'm going to back up for a second, if you don't mind. Just, just Pl- please do, because uh, I mean, the 15 years. Just think about be, uh, being born until you're 15. The lifetime that you've lived, right? It's it's insane. At 15, you think you've lived this whole life, and that's the time that has passed since that moment that a lot of people identify you with. And I can't let that first part of what you just said go for a second because there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of processes. I mean, we hear about the athlete transition, you know, hear about going through this, this whole change of, okay, you're once an athlete. Now you move on and you have all of these other things that you want to do. And that's great. Cool. Do it. Like, you know, you go through a little depression, you go through this and that, but like, eventually you, you come out of it. Like, right. And also, no, no. Like, no, no. And I think that that has been a huge, like the little emoji with like the brain that's like, you know, that's like a huge realization lately. I just feel like the process has been, it's like chipping away, you know, at a, at a stat, like you're making a statue, you're like chipping away and forming more of what it is every single year of your life after that because what it once was is this thing that is at the top of the world and as you slowly chip away you feel forced to let it go you feel like you need to make something of it you feel like you need to give back and contribute you feel like you have to be proud of it you feel like you have to stay close to that in some way or else you're not grateful or else you don't care or else, you know, these are the stories. And this is, I'm just speaking on like, you know, from so many conversations of my peers where it's like, I feel guilty to let it go. 
I feel like I need to have something inside of me that gives back to that world or that does something and makes the world a better place based on my experiences. And if I let that whole identity of who I was go, that's terrifying. And I've, I've never really let it go is I guess is what I'm saying. And what I've realized because I continued to work in the field. And so when I stopped last October and I made a clean cut from anything in the sports field, it was like, whoa, <laughs> like I am no longer Caroline, the Olympic athlete that started a business and made something of it and gave back and did all of these great things to the other, to the next generation. Cause that's also another identity piece. That's just a, an evolution. Like we're chipping away. I'm just evolving into this, like, oh, I need to stay in this. And I want to say that like, I, lo I loved that chapter. I loved the impact that we made. And also how much if, of that is like a trapping feeling for people that you have to go and continue working in that field. If you love it, you love it and you do it forever commentating, you know, whatever. I think it's amazing. But what about the people that feel like there's, they have so much more to share and to give, but you feel like you can't because you have to stay somewhat close and tied to and attached to that thing because that's what people expect you to do. So that's, you know, that first little part that you said, like, that's what comes up for me because it's this feeling that you, you have to have your big toe in somewhere. And if you completely detach and go and be a, I don't know, you, uh, fly airplanes, I, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to do. And you're like, no, that was like another life. I don't even know that person. The guilt that comes with that and the grief that comes with that is way more substantial than I think we're giving ourselves credit for. And that's at least the conversation that I've had with a lot of my peers lately, where it's like, well, I should do this one clinic. I should just do it. It's like, should, like, do you want to? <laughs> like, at what point are you really doing what you want to do and what you're called to do with zero regrets? Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. that's a little cat yeah. there. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That. That, that's, that's perfect because, <laughs> and, and I'm happy to say with this conversation in, in this direction, um, just so people are, are clear on this, this you're referring to cutting, uh, uh, ties with your, uh, like mess. working in swimming yeah. or with athletes in the sports world, because you, you ended up, um, closing rise athletes mm -hmm. and ending that project. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's what you were referring yeah, to, yeah. correct? Referring to that, referring to just completely letting go of anything related to your former identity. So, and that was to me staying in the sports world and working with youth athletes and running a business where we work with youth athletes, you still, you're reliving it every single day of your life. You're continuing to relive whatever it was that you experienced, which is beautiful. Like I said, zero regrets, nothing but love and, and pride for it. And also leaving that is terrifying. Who are you without it? Like, who are you without this identity of she's the person that created this based on her career, ran this business, made the world a better place. And it's like, oh, okay, that's done. So like, now what? 
are you going to like keep doing that? Are you going to, are you going to keep staying in that world? And, and sure, maybe, I mean, there may be a part of me that still does something like that. Never say never, but it's more the principle. Like we continue to go through iterations of that identity, depending on what you have your, your hands in and how it impacts your life. So super interesting topic to dive into because it is like whether it's a job or you know whatever it is like how do you do you let go I, I mean I don't think it it's possible to completely let go unless you become enlightened and all of a sudden you have no attachment to anything uh so I I think the answer is no there Although I, I'm going to leave the door open to the, the possibilities. I think the relationship to that which you identify changes. And as your relationship to that which you identify to changes, uh, identify with changes, then um, your emotions around it change. Thus, your experience changes. And I think we all just want to feel good. So to, to kind of bring us uh, to some kind of track here, um, I'm just going to bring up this, this thing that popped up in my mind and see how, how it lands for you. But I guess there's something about at the most fundamental level, if you're out and about or you meet somebody in a social setting and they ask you right now, so, oh, Caroline, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, one... One, what do you say, and 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 two, how does that feel for you at this moment? Um, interestingly enough, right when we closed Rise, it felt good to say we had this business, and now I'm taking a break. You know, like it felt good because that was specific. But when then when you try and transition again, and that's the space I'm in now where it's like, okay, this was the last chapter of my life. Do I continue to go back to that because it's familiar? Do I just say I do it because I don't know what I'm doing? Or do I just say, you know, figuring that out? I formerly did this and now I am, you know, looking into these potential careers or these potential things that I want to do. That question is really hard for me. And I mean, I just being as honest and vulnerable as possible, because here's the thing is I have far too many conversations with people individually that are so afraid to say these things out loud. Like, I don't know what I do, <laughs> or I don't know how to say that, or I don't know how to structure my why. And you know all this, you know this all too well, just because this is what you do is you help people understand that. But it's, I've had to take a little step back from so much input because that question feels so, I don't even want to say easy, but like when you, when you turn on Instagram or you go on whatever, it seems like everyone has it figured out. And then I have conversations behind the scenes and nobody knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> and so I come to this crossroads where I'm like, well, which one is it? 
because no one's being real anymore. And I'm not saying that we all need to say like, you know, one way, one thing or the other, but just from a real and vulnerable place, I'm working on saying, I don't know. And be okay in that place of, I don't know. And I don't know what will be the next thing or the next iteration of me. And it reminds me of a conversation with Salema once where he was in the similar position. He's like, I have a thousand interests. I don't know whether to say I'm a podcaster, a, you know, commentator, a musician, you know, it's like you have all of these things that you love and that you are passionate about and that you want to do. And so it's like, well, how long do you have? You know, can I tell you about all the passions I have or do you want me to give you an elevator speech? And so I think, or you know, an elevator pitch. So to answer your question, I'm working on being okay with saying I'm not exactly sure what's next. If I want to be, if I want to shut somebody up, I say, I work with athletes on mindset <laughs> and that's pretty much, you know, cause that's, that's a way to get out, but I'm trying not to get out. I'm trying to stay in and be uncomfortable with this process of not exactly knowing. 100%. And I think as, as you're saying this for me, what came up is we're all just making it up as we go and we're just choosing the labels that um, seem to serve us the most. And I'm, I'm wondering if if that's true to you as I, as I say this, and one of your lanes is uh, working on mindset for athletes and then having personal experience in uh, working with the body. So like somatic experiencing, for example, and we can talk about that and dive into w what that was like for you working through that and how you utilize it now and working with athletes. If we know that you you work with the mind, you work with the body, and uh, you are rooted in creativity, which is, let's just call it abstract thinking, that allows you to potentially uh, tap into the subtleties of the human experience, which is this like thing that's happening behind the scenes that doesn't have words necessarily. Uh, if, if that's... Um, who you are and what you do, like who really cares, right? Who, who really cares? Well, I think that, I think the answer is you do, I do. Thus we make up forms or ways of expressing ourselves that other people can either plug into or relate to or connect with. So long story short, what I'm getting to is that if somebody asks me, Oh, who's Caroline Burkle? Oh, what I would say, um, she's mostly known for uh, being a swimmer who um, went to the Olympics and came home with some hardware. She's also known for uh, starting a company and working with athletes. Okay, cool. But uh, she has some interest in fashion and design and art and... I think that's where she thrives. Every single person that interacts with that statement, whether it's true to you, as I expressed it or not, is going to adhere to that which resonates with them. Right? 
And my curiosity when I was asking you about like your day-to-day non-negotiables, what are the things that are currently resonating with you? Like what are the things that you're experiencing on a daily basis that you're like, yep, this feels good. Like is it is it training? Is it going to the pool? Is it just hanging out at home? Is it reading? Is it being in your studio? What are those things? Um, movement for sure. Um, movement feels good. Uh, not having, going along the same lines of what we've been talking about, not having an answer or something specific to figure out is scary, but feels good because it's freeing and it's allowing me the headspace and the mental clarity to be able to fill in the gaps of what, you know, what I am feeling and thinking and experiencing. I feel so long, you're just like on this path and that's the path and you're doing it and you're achieving and you're doing this and this and this. So like having the freedom to not achieve anything (laughs) uh that feels terrifying but it feels good and so i'm really leaning into that um because the moment that i feel that right now i do find myself getting anxious which is interesting because i've never had that feeling i always love to achieve something or have a goal on the calendar um and making art for me not for other people. I think that was what stopped me for a long time was the expectations of other people. And it still is. I think I posted something last night in my late, you know, I was laying down just watching some show at the end of the, at the end of the day. And I'm just like, why do I feel so trapped in in this and sharing my art? And it's because I think I really truly been so excited to just create for me without the expectation of anyone else. So the thread here, as you can see, is finally for the first time, I think in a really long time, I'm wrestling with it's okay to do things because I like it. And I don't have to do it for anyone else or anything else or for any greater purpose or reason. I can just do it because it feels good in that moment for my body, for my nervous system or for, you know, for whatever it is. And it feels selfish. Cause I've spent my whole life in service of, you know, other others and creating things and experiences for others with my work and with what I did. And I, I loved that and I thrive off of that. But when I do something for myself, I have to wrestle with it feeling selfish, but it also feels so good. So it's like this scale that tips every day, like, well, this feels good, but I should be doing something for someone else and for the greater good and to make a difference. You know, so back to that same conversation of that, like what what that is. So those are the the things that feel non-negotiable for me right now. And I I really do hope that that can lead into a better place where I feel like it's okay to do things for myself. And then also it's okay to go out into the world and put myself out there and make a difference and create and impact others. But I'm not quite there with that yet during this one year period of my life that I've been in that, you know transition from the version of me that was do 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 for others Mm -hmm. yeah and I think there's there's pressure um that comes from all angles and I think this is not new to our current time 
that says that you need to be doing something that is uh, contributing to society. You need to be a practical person. You need to be a professional. And I think when you have a sport, like for example, you had swimming, it's easy to feel like you are on the path of being a professional. And then within that profession, there are evolutions and adaptations that occur where you can retire from swimming, become a coach, become uh, somebody who does commentary. You can remain in that uh, ecosystem, so to speak. So you remain a professional. And it's very easy to just say, oh, yeah, right now I'm in swimming. This is what I do in swimming. Um, but when you when you choose alternative paths to that which has uh, produced an identity for you, it can get kind of confusing. And I think there's something, I don't know what, what, what we would call it, but a distorted uh, perception of reality where we start to think that we as a single unit, as, as one person can, can really change the world. When in reality, we're, we're, we may just be a catalyst for uh, a group of people doing it and yeah it, that it, that can get really confusing but i want to go to this thing of doing without the sake of producing uh and and what that's like so um how how, how many times a week do you swim right now and you go to the pool too and when you when you go to the pool before you get there do you know what you're going to do no and so when you get in the water how do you get started what does the process look like uh, on a on a, an average day where you're not feeling nor too excited or or too depleted, you're just going to the pool out of habit because it says on the calendar or you've decided that that's what you got to do. Yeah, what does that look like? Just run me through that session. Um, well, this morning was one of them. I, I spam this morning, and you know I didn't get in the water for five years when I retired. I didn't touch it. I didn't look at it. I didn't want to be around it. Um, and so the evolution of going to the pool and doing something has gone from, I need to get this much yardage in to then it trickled to like, who cares about yardage? Let's just make sure my heart rate's up. And then it trickled from, eh, screw that. Now this just feels good because I like to swim and it feels good in my body. It's like yoga in the water. And then it was like, oh, the GoPro is fun to play with. Let's just play around and like see how that feels. Um, and now it's this blend of all of them where I get in the water and I use the first 300 or so to figure out what do I feel today? Like, how do I feel today in the water? And the water is such a magical place that humbles you and keeps you very honest. You know, immediately... And I'm speaking from a swimmer's lens. So, you know, everyone's different with their relationship with the water. But if you have a relationship with the water, whether you're a surfer or a swimmer or a synchronized swimmer, you know, whatever, you know immediately how you feel. It's it's like an instantaneous, I'm either floating or I'm sinking, I'm short or I'm long, I'm heavy or I'm light. Like it's an immediate feeling. And then I go with what my body needs on that day. So if it is like more long, smooth stuff, and I i mean, I can't, I don't count yardage at all anymore. I don't care. I go with what I feel. So this morning, get in, do your 300, feel your way. I'm like, oh, yes, it was hard at the gym. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm also 
uh, just really trying to focus on my breath. I hold my breath a lot during the day through stress. So I use it as breath work, work in the water. So this morning, that's what I did. So that's an example of kind of feeling your way through. And then the guy that I swim with is training for a triathlon. He needs to train, train. So I'm able to adapt to what he's doing. And I just do what I want to do in that. I don't need to do the yardage that he does. I do a part of it. And then I, I listen to what I need. And that's just where I'm at. I mean, there may be another point in my life where I'm like, cool, I'm going to train for this race. Like, let's go. Great. But right now where I'm at is this place is this as a place where I feel that I can breathe. I can flow. I can be present. I can let go of whatever it is that I'm experiencing that is holding me back or pushing me down or causing me to freeze and be flat and not want to engage with the world. You know, whatever the experience is, it, it humbles me and keeps me honest with who I am, how I feel and where I'm at. And that's just my personal experience. Other people go to yoga to find that. Other people go on meditation walks or just meditate in general to find that. Swimming is that for me because it does not have an outcome anymore. And I haven't had an outcome with it in six years. (laughs) So um, it's taken practice though, because that wasn't always the case at all. Right. To get to that place. So even though, even though there's not an outcome, I assume that when you finish with your pool session that you either have a feeling of somewhat of satisfaction, like, oh, I checked the box, that feels kind of good, or dissatisfaction, like, oh, I should have, I would, if I had just paid attention to this, it would have been a more productive thing for me. Uh, is that is that the case for you, or is it just kind of like, I just do this thing and then I'm done? Yeah. Uh... If I did a 200 and got out and that's what I needed that day, I would still feel okay. And I can honestly say that now. That is one area of my life that I do feel that I have not had to produce anything or feel that I have anything to prove anymore. Um, I think it's because I found my flow, my creative energy there. I found the essence of who I was as a little girl, of who I was growing up. I found that person that likes to just be. And that's a place where I can just be. I can I can shut it down. I, I don't have to think about anything. I can feel, which is a superpower that I have. And I don't I don't need to think anymore. I don't need that. So when I go there, it's like, oh, it's like an exhale. Even walking it, even when I don't want to get up and go, I get there and I'm like, oh, it feels so good to be here. And I cannot say that I truly feel that in any other space of my life. And it's really funny how that has been such a, you know, up and down relationship over the past years that I've retired in 2011 but it's the place that I continue to find the most clarity in who I am. And it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting experience. That's a felt sense. That's even hard to put into words, but I would imagine that, that anyone, you know, that has some sort of relationship with something that they feel like they can just go and it's just who they are. 
whether it's hiking or riding a skateboard or, you know, you just get there and you drop in and you don't care about results. You just do it for the love of it, which is, again, back to that image that I told you at the beginning. It's like the little girl that just went to the lake and didn't give a shit about what was on the agenda that day. I was just there because it was fun. And it felt like me. And so that feels really good to be there. But I can't say that for other areas of my life as far as... Well, let, well, we, can get, we can get into it. We can get into it. Um, okay, so this is, a, this is a yes or no question, okay? So yes or no, only answers. Are you a competitive person? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. There's some like in, nuance to that though, but yes. Okay, let's let's explore it. When do you find yourself uh, noticing that you're becoming competitive? In what situations? Social media. Okay. <laughs> and how do you measure uh, whether you're winning or not? If I'm producing things to make a difference in the world. Based on the knowledge and experience that I have. Okay. That's interesting. With that and but that ties into sort of what I've been sharing about why is it that you have you know you feel the pressure to have to be this person based on what you've done. So that's where I'm living is that like is that the direction? But there's a lot of that competitiveness that shows up now because that is a place where people display their work and their life's work. Mhm. Yeah, and it Yet it's um, it doesn't depict a reality. It's it's just a projection of an idea and some behaviors that are enough to make people believe that that is the the reality of what's happening behind the scenes. So if you could, if you knew that you were going to be completely safe completely taken care of, that your career would thrive and that you could do exactly what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, would you be on social media? I'd be on my art account because the creative part of it, I do enjoy. Otherwise, mm -hmm. no. Okay, so uh, if you had zero followers and zero people were uh, looking at it, would you would you still be on that account? No. Okay. Yeah. So you wouldn't be on social media necessarily, but there it seems like you would have some kind of um, gallery that is yours and you would be documenting your process. Yeah, I, I would do the same. But there's something that's happened in our world where we think we need to be on social media, produce content in a way where people can connect to it so that uh, we can be productive and be contributors in some way. But I think the metrics uh, and the feedback that we're getting are not aligned with uh, that which we really crave, which for you is meaningful relationships. I I'm glad we, we are connected. I mean, right. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But you and I don't connect on social media. You and I connect over a call or mm. we're doing this right now right. type thing or text message. Yeah, so 
It might have been. It, it's a, it's a strange um, thing that I I, I I don't think it's unique to you. I also feel it. So competitive in social media. Um, how do you know if you're winning at social media then? Like how what what are the metrics there? Are the, is it followers, engagements? Is it people reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, I want to um, commission a piece. I want to uh, talk to you about uh, mental health." What what is it? That's the interesting. That's a great question because I don't know if you have a an answer to this for you, but I d- I don't know, and that's why I think the wrestling happens with the competitive nature and with thinking about you know, what is the purpose of sharing your gifts? Is it so that others see it? Is it to connect with people, which you always have a great line about it's, you know, a way of if we can't share our our gifts and if we can't share our successes with people, then what, what are we here for? So I think about all these things, like what is it that I'm, I'm, I'm seeking with that? I think it, it goes back to that freedom feeling. I think that is the success for me. When it doesn't matter, you don't compare. It doesn't matter what other people think. You do it for the pure joy of it because that's just enjoyable and you don't need to compare and and look at everything else. So I don't know that I would know what metrics would make me feel successful, but I do know that I would feel successful if I could let go of the expectations that other people I'm making this up, right? The stories that I have that other people have for me to go on and speak about mental health to athletes in a way that that is what I think that people want from me. And and so it goes back to the beginning of our conversation and kind of circling this together and bringing it together that it it all comes back to expectations of what you think other people want from you. And Dr. Michael Gervais just wrote a book called FOPO, Fear of Other People's Opinions. (laughs) And it's something that really does plague a lot of athletes because you feel this pressure to be someone for other people, not only in performance, but in real life. Like if I, you know, I'm sure it's any performer, but since you have this thing that other people expect of you, what happens when you don't And so that's where I'm sort of wrestling is what is this all for on social media? Because it's the reality of our existence. How can I get to a place where I just do it without FOPO? (laughs) Like, how can I get to a place where I do it without that? And can that be success instead of any metric that's out there instead of likes and follows and, and whatever? Can that feel freeing enough? to where I then feel like I am fulfilling my own thing because it's fun and enjoyable and I enjoy sharing gifts with the world. So I'd like to get there, but I can't say that I know what metric would make me feel good because it changes every day too. And none of it matters anyway. So it's like, how do you really answer that question? Mm-hmm. And I, and I know for people maybe listening right now, this is like uh, maybe it seems like a convoluted uh, conversation that we're having. But it, if if uh, you pay attention to it, what, what we're really tackling is the thing that I, I think everybody wants to know. It's kind of like, how do I feel good doing the thing uh, that I love doing? 
And how do I do it in the landscape that we're currently living in, in a way that is producing the results that I need at the most fundamental level to continue to do the thing that I love? In other words, if, if you're starting a business, you want your business to be viable. You want it to be financially viable, right? Feasibility is, is actually pretty easy. Like everything is pretty much possible to do. It may take more or less time, but viability is now a thing of, of numbers. It's a thing of engineering. It's a thing of structure and uh, practices and uh, organization. And it's very technical. But the thing that we're kind of dealing with here is the adaptive nature of each human being in relationship to those things that um, seem to be logical or you can put on paper and there can be a step-by-step process type thing. And I'm wondering, th- this this may be a digression here, but um, do you think somebody can win the Olympics in swimming training by feel? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, let, let, let me let me let me just add to it. What if um you're you're training by feel, and you are constantly training in different environments, open water, a twenty five meter pool, uh, a gigantic. Let's imagine you could have a two hundred meter pool. <laughs> yes, and you have to have some sort of understanding as to the layout and the structure that you will be competing at at the Olympics. So, yeah, rules, standards of a game are imperative to be able to optimize and maximize one's performance to have a competitive advantage and, and win. If, if that's the case, which I, I believe the highest level of performance starts by feel and then when things are aligned in our mind and our heart, our gut, I've said this so many times, then we start to produce outcomes that are measurable and tangible. And then those can inform how to better optimize for that. So if you right now are choosing to be in a more creative space where uh, you are moving through the world professionally, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, Uh, by feel, what are some of the rules and standards, whether spoken or not, that are in your life right now? Is it I wake up at a certain time, I go to bed at a certain time, I eat a certain way, I go to the pool twice a week? What are those standards for you? Well, I think it goes back to that umbrella of doing what feels right in the moment and that will change because what's right for me is maybe not right for someone else but i think the moment that you know obviously you can have a routine you wake up and you move of some sort you wake up and you journal i have like a few things that i do regularly but again the first time in my whole life i have had the freedom this past year to choose that And maybe there aren't structures or bounds. And that's what's scary is that you can choose to change those rules for yourself. 
Like I don't have to fit in the same rules that I've always fit in as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, creating a business and waking up and having the exact same schedule of workout, come home, eat six hours of calls, take a break. What, you know, those were the bounds and the structures that I had that helped me succeed for that. But I do think there's a period in anyone's journey where if you have a situation where you are, you know, for example, using mine specifically, closing down a business and, and kind of letting your hands off the reins, taking your hands off the reins of this athlete mentality of not working in sports, of taking a purposeful break and saying, I'm going to create whatever structures feel good for me that day. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, today feels good to do this. And I realize that's not the reality for 99% of people. And I realize that, you know, this is going to sound very, you know, I don't even know the right word. It's going to sound like, oh, you know, my fear in saying all this right now is, oh, like she has all this freedom and time to do whatever she wants or, you know, she's just retired. Like it's going to sound privileged. It's going to sound privileged. Um, but that's not hit us with it. Hit us with that privilege. Uh, but but like, you know, that's the that's the fear, though. Right. Like that it's scary to be able to sit down and explore. OK, I just had a successful business and now I'm in a space where I want the same feeling, but something has to change. And so in order for me to find the next structures and to find the next things. I need to be willing to change a few things and to try new things and to try to structure my day differently than I have before. I don't always have to work out at 6 a.m. I can wake up and, you know, right now we're working on a newsletter. We're doing, I, I'm still doing things, but it's for a different purpose. Maybe I can work out later. Like little things like that, I think are important as we grow and change to adapt to different ways of being, even in the, smallest of things, whether it's the hour that you work out or the hour that you meditate or the hour that you, the chunk of time you have your calls or the chunk of time, you know, you're doing uh, community service or going to an animal show, like whatever it is that you decide to do. I do think that that is helpful is to change it up. And I have never done that in my entire life. I have been extremely rigid with my schedule and getting shit done to a point where I didn't know what it felt like to change that and to wake up and say, okay, I'm going to try and do something. To, I'm going to move this around today. I mean, when I tell you it's like terrifying for someone that's like, you know, very structured with time and type A and, and stuck in the ways of like, this is how it has to be. It was terrifying for me. You know, it's, uh, it's sorry for interrupting, but I just uh, noticed something. <laughs> I, I just realized that I've never hung out with you. Now that you, you mentioned this, I've never hung out with you where the hangout hasn't ended with, uh, it's time for me to go type thing. Like, uh, my time is up. And I, I recognize that but because there's always something in me that says I have to do this thing. Like I have a, I have a plan I need to execute. If I don't go to bed at this time, like everything is going to crumble. And I'm, I can become very square like that. But I, I just realized, oh, yeah, that, that is very much your, your way. Yet, I've never been around you 
and felt boxed in. I've never been around you and felt rigid. I think we've always laughed. We we're pretty silly. We say silly things. We're not trying to like impress each other with uh, whatever. Yeah. Well, I thing feel we safe have. in that container, though. I think mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm able to be myself in that way. But you're absolutely right, and that's exactly a specific example of what I'm talking about. And so it is scary to say these things because. Trust me, for 10 months, I have felt extremely behind or privileged that, you know, I'm able to take this break and all of the things that I guilt myself for. But I've been able to also say yes to more things, to stay present with people for longer, to not exit situations so quickly and be on to the next thing. And maybe that's been the lesson in it all. You know, like how can you stay, how can you stay present with your current experience without trying to make it some, you know, outcome or production of some sort, just be that, like, can it just be that? Can it just be okay to enjoy yourself with your friends and have a dinner that's two hours and not 45 minutes I got to go? It's still difficult for me, and but I do think that there's a lot of truth in the lessons that these small examples bring in life, you know, and I talk to all of my friends with kids, and you can experience this, and they say things like, do that now while, you know, while you can, like, try to figure out how to enjoy yourself slower. Uh-huh. 100%. 100%. 100%. I mean the 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 whole kids thing is a is a different world and and as you know I I I co-parent I'm a grandparent but I co-parent our toddler grandson uh and when he's he's with us 50% of the time 50% of the time with his mother when when he leaves I have this like deep sadness but I I'm also craving this break because it's so intense to be a parent and you're just so focused on serving, 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 and you just can't escape it. It's just the nature of the game for those those years. But when he leaves, I feel like I'm cheating at life. Like I'm like, this is so easy right now. But do you know what happens? Within 12 hours, I adapt completely and then I default to being like, Ah, I'm not going to do as much as I was thinking I was going to do when he was around uh, and thinking that I was missing out on something. Oh, I wouldn't even choose to do that. So what's what's the problem, really? Why are we making this having to be productive uh, thing up? And it's yeah, it's trying to meet a more fundamental need. And maybe it's that that sense of connection is that sense of doing without having to produce an outcome. It's about just exploring, experiencing being alive, which I mean, uh, I, I've shared this a couple of times on the podcast already, but Tanya, she, she got some, uh, logs that she, she's put together to, to build a little, uh, what do you call it? Where you plant stuff in it? Um, a planter. Yeah. Anyways, uh, there were two of them that I really liked and we just had them as like little like uh, pot holders type thing. And I decided I wanted to uh, sandpaper them 
just because I wanted to make them look nicer. And I just sat in front of our house sandpapering these things. And it felt so good to just sit there sandpapering these things that nobody's going to look at, nobody's going to notice, nobody really cares about. Uh, but it felt so cathartic to just be there. And something interesting happened. As I sat there and I just did my thing, uh, people gravitated towards me because they just wanted to see what is this person doing. Uh, some people would just walk by. Others would walk by and then they would they would ask me like, uh, what are you doing that for? I was like, nothing. And they're like, oh, that's nice. You know, that's nice. And then uh, some people were like, ooh, that, that looks pretty nice. Can I touch it? <laughs> You're like, sure. Uh, but it was interesting because when one does without the need of showing or producing or whatever, and you do it in a public forum, it attracts certain people. It attracts certain curiosity. It attracts something. I think noticing what uh, a productive list effort uh, attracts and does is extremely powerful. So, for example, I mean, um, I've, I've shared this with you before, but when, when you enter a room, you are noticeable. You're tall, you're strong, you have this presence. It's like, whoa. And I assume, I assume you are an impressive person. <laughs> it's like you radiate this thing. It just is. When you show up at a public pool, for example, um, some may notice you and be like, well, yeah, physically, this is a specimen, meaning like you're not like me. <laughs> You've done something different. You are something different. And then when you get in the pool, I, I, am, I imagine you passed people effortlessly. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Of course, of course you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if you can remember just doing your thing and having attracted somebody to ask you something, yeah. whether they, they noticed the, the rings, <laughs> the Olympic rings tattooed on you or not. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I okay. think more so in the, even in the last year. But and what are they saying? What are these people saying when they come up to you? Um, or, you know, just usually you went to the Olympics and I'd say, yeah, you know, you know, my answer is always, yeah, I was a child. <laughs> I, was, I was young. I was 20. Um, in 2008 they're like, oh well it's great you know they ask a few more questions and um uh, you know i used to resist talking about it more but i i feel like in the in the conversation of just being and embracing and just allowing i've been able to talk about it more freely and openly in the last you know 10 months than i ever have because i don't have to then talk about the next things that I'm doing or the next, the pressure to share that I'm doing more than just that or yeah. in the art of just being, it's nice to just say, yeah, it was great. And usually then they say, is the Olympic village as crazy as everyone says it is? <laughs> and then I just laugh and you know, it's something, it's a fun story to tell. And I think that um, it, it is interesting to realize the shift 
kind of the changing of the of the guards of my own my own guards in front of me from like yeah and now I'm doing this and I need to tell them about this and you know and now it's like that was that and it stands alone and it's okay that it stands alone and I don't have to um prove anything anymore yeah and I think that's that's the that's the power of where you are right now and I, I hope people can can hear that and I think it, it's it's nice to be in a place where you no longer have to prove yourself you can simply just continue to demonstrate and um, the fact that people are curious about where you've been I think is uh, is a gift because you've done something in your life that will keep on giving like accomplishing the Olympic thing is kind of like uh, this amazing calling card that just keeps on giving. And any time that you choose, you can turn that on or off and organically it will just kind of happen. Uh, so I think that's that's amazing. And, and the fact that you have an outlet like uh, art and creativity to uh, live in a state where there is no destination there's just like this mastery and exploration um i think it gives you the tools at least um unconsciously to to continue to navigate this uh shifting gears um now that i've projected my opinion on you <laughs> no but it's exactly right and i think that this conversation isn't just about transitioning from sport and you know it, it can be easy for people to say, oh, just get over it already. Like, move on. Like, that's not, that's not the point. This is the 10th iteration of that. And I think my point in sharing all of this is that it's okay to continue to reinvent yourself based on something that means so much in your life, but you don't have to hold so tightly to the outcome of being that person always. It can stand alone. Your experiences can stand alone. You don't have to continue to pull them and be like, but look, I did, but look, I did this. Look, I did this. And look, I did, it's like, did, did those things. And I'm continuing on my journey and allowing myself to just be present with those feelings of like, that's amazing. Those are amazing accomplishments. And I don't have to prove anything anymore. I can just do it for the love of it. So that's like, the wrap of them <laughs> I guess. it's perfect it's perfect so switching gears as as i said um if we now uh take your um view of the world and specifically we narrow it down to uh sports and uh, we focus on the youth teenage category in the last decade of you being in this sphere, what is the common theme that uh, is coming up? Overwhelm. Um, and I'm, you know, speaking from what we hear, what I hear is I'm part of this incredible coaches collective group with Dr. Laura Pence, who's colleague in sports psych field and I really love the group because it's like six women and we just talk about how everything in life sort of relates and you know it's very life centric and sport is a facet of it and it's all everything is everything and um 
the general overwhelm from athletes, coaches, people, just based on how much there is to either conquer, see, or understand in terms of, you know, there's so, there's so many different things happening in the world of sport now that we're aware of. Um, whether it's, you know, the latest headline news on NIL in college, or if it's the athletes going through mental health issues, or if it's, you know, rearranging NCAA conferences, or if, you know, there's so many different things happening. And then there's the individual things, eating disorders and depression and expectations, and then coaches and all stuff they have on them to not say the wrong thing, but don't be too hard, but don't be too soft, but be right in the middle. And you can't, there's so much. And so I think there's a lot of overwhelm that I, that we're noticing and that I'm noticing in, there's a lot out there. How do we distill it down to what we can really use and, and help people with? Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I love that there's a list of things. If, if you had to, or uh, feel compelled to uh, tackle one of those problems that are contributing to the overwhelm, which one would it be and how would you tackle it? I, I really like the, from a standpoint of a coach or a mindset coach or a support staff or whomever, feeling like they have to fix and solve everything, but starting to realize, you know, obviously that's not the goal. <laughs> um, and that the goal, cause I've obviously lived in that space where I'm like, I must fix this. This must be changed immediately. And, um, allowing coaches and supporters to provide more of a listening and sounding board space for others to come to, for athletes to come to, for their peers to come to parents or you know whomever to where they can not take it on not fix it not change it necessarily of course have the tools to be able to do so but to learn first that it's more about the connection and the listening and the helping to regulate than it is to change and fix so everybody obviously has a role in helping mental health and sports whether you're a fan or you're an athlete or you're a coach and simply by that place of understanding, the place of being aware enough to have the conversations and not just try to brush it under the rug with some sort of course that you take to get past the thing. So the overarching, like we're here because we care and there doesn't need to be this answer immediately to solve all mental health issues in the world of sport tomorrow. Totally. Yeah, I think this is a big one. Now, uh, uh, please forgive me as I continue to bring us to practical matters. Uh, what? Okay. Uh, so uh, my my brain immediately goes to okay. I understand that um, holding space is extremely important, and that instilling the uh, power of connection and meaningful conversation, and not having to be uh, necessarily constantly solution conscious is is important because that's the thing that opens the door and frees you up 
to be able to access all those things that you want and you believe are going to be the prescription or the solution, the techniques, the methods, the whatever, right? Uh, that's going to get you where you want to go. Uh, my sense is that regulation, learning to regulate oneself is is key. And uh, there's, of course, co-regulation and then um, uh, learning how to become aware of the things that are signaling that you are dysregulated are important. Uh, what have you found to uh, work well with um, athletes, individuals that maybe don't have the language for regulation, uh, for being able to regulate or even noticing that they're dysregulated, uh, that have worked for you in communicating these things or practices that you've implemented or even things that you've worked on, like, for example, through somatic experiencing, uh, which I, I find fascinating. And I think, I, I, I mean, I wish I had that as a kid. Uh, insane. Yeah. What have you found uh, to work? What are things that you, you've done that you're like, oh, that, okay, that, that landed, that, that makes sense. I learned everything I need to know from Sarah Baldwin as far as somatic experiencing goes. I've learned from her for so many years and she's helped me through so much um, of my own things, which in turn can help others. So I first want to say that it's the classic line of, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others, which goes against what most people in a helping role would want to do. But um, the thing that helps the most if we're speaking of, you know, working from a body centered approach and understanding the cues our body is giving us as to what is going on in our mind, it's essentially somatic, the, the baseline of somatic work is that the coach or the person helping has to understand that first and has to also be in a space where they know how to go from being in fight or flight to a regulated state or being flat and completely apathetic to a regulated state. And the goal isn't to like, be this regulated human. It's to know how to get there. Um, and it's to know how to, you know, in the micro movements do that. So that's the first and foremost, that's the most important because without the leader of the people being regulated, like as we've seen in our culture today, like without any leader feeling, you know, like they are centered in their approach and clear, it's really hard for people to get behind that. So that's the first thing that I've noticed across the board, whether it's conversations with coaches, with parents, with admin, like you name it for a decade, we spent hours on Zoom talking to people in leadership positions who have no idea how to even, like they're stressed, they're anxious, they're this, they're that. And it's like, let's figure that out first. How can you regulate yourself before you then go and do that for the people that you coach, for the people that you work with. Um, so again, going back to that coach piece, but as you're working with athletes or if you are working with the larger population of people that are performing, performers, as you know, you're working with performers right now. If they aren't in a space that they are steady, which ventral is a term there, performance can not be the best. And that's a part of of this whole process. So practically, like using that as context, practically the thing that helped the most was talking about the, like the ladder and giving an image of where you are in the ladder, which is either you're in fight or flight, you're way up high and you're about to climb off that ladder and run away, <laughs> or you are flat and you are at the bottom and you're not going to climb the ladder to save your life. 
or you're right in the middle. So that image then helps as you work into that. So you can do it through breath work. You can do it through, we do something called SIF, uh, sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, and kind of understanding where they're at. And then also body scan. Like that was one of the biggest things that I did in my coaching was body scan and like where they're holding tension, where they're jittery. Like jittery is an easy thing for people to understand. Like is it your hands? <laughs> you know, like where? Yeah, like I, I, I hold a lot of tension in my head, my jaw, my neck, and my my traps, and then I'm jittery in my fingers. Right. So if you can understand parts of your body and what you're doing, that immediately cues. Okay, if I am in that space, I'm in fighter. Like I'm I'm trying to escape something or other. Like there's I'm not in a, in a space where I can feel clear. You know, you ask any athlete before a race if they're like freaking out. They're too hot. It's too much. The The arousal level is too high. And so, you know, you can call this a million things, right? But I like to work with it as it pertains to somatic experiencing. But, you know, people call it arousal levels, whatever you want to call it. So those are so those are three things. But based on the context of just um, really focusing in on this isn't hoodoo voodoo work. This is for every human being. Like if you can understand what your body is telling you and if you can understand where you lie on that ladder on a regular basis, it gives you that much more information to be able to then go and get to an optimal level. So again, you can have athletes that are completely all hyper arousal, fight or flight, not feeling good in that way or opposite end of the spectrum is I don't give a crap. I don't want to do it. I don't want to show up. I'm exhausted. I don't have any of, it, of what it takes. Both of those are just a dysregulation standpoint. So just trying to get back to that center point through the breath work, through the ladder work, image work, through the body scanning, through those things, important for coaches, important for athletes, in my opinion. I think everybody can learn from that. And it's not something that you just pick up and do overnight. It's a daily practice. And, and uh, even when you practice it for a long time, uh, all of a sudden you can be in, in new situations, new scenarios, and things that you thought you had worked on or you had control over can pop up in, in different ways. And, and uh, that, that sometimes can be shocking. And even the most well-practiced uh, are unable to actually realize that it's the same thing that you were experiencing before just in a different form it's it's a new way of uh, yeah experiencing this this regulation how do you cut through the noise because something that i experience is i can be in a in a state where i think i'm okay and then all of a sudden i'm not okay and then i i know that i i need to come back to some kind of baseline that feels more regulated but there's this uh, this noise like a distortion that exists between uh, me being aware of the problem, me knowing that I have to do something that just doesn't allow me to even take that action. And sometimes it gets so bad for me that I have to like jump in and take a cold shower really quickly just to shock my system so that I can cut through that noise. Uh, th does that even yeah. make sense to you when I say I that? I guess my first um, question for you is when you are in that space of, um, there's so much noise. Do you find yourself all over the place mentally or do you find yourself shut down? 
uh, all over the place mentally. I, I, I become like hyper aware and active. What's the story in that moment? Like if you have a thought that pops up when you are in that space, what is it? The story is I have to produce a result. We are so similar. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I need to make more money. I need to uh, communicate this way. I need to do this thing. I need to, I need to, it's like constantly like, and it just makes me, the anxiety just completely kills me. And if you don't do those things, what's the story? I feel like a complete failure. And now, see, I told you so. You suck. You're not as good as you thought you were. Bop, 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 bop. And then the self-sabotage, of course, can, can begin. And then you just are completely self-deprecating. When I know, I know that's not the truth because I've kind of worked on it. But there's this distortion that happens that... Um, I wonder, is there a healthier way of, of cutting through that? And you've already, you've already said what it is. It's you have to have practices and you have to work on it on a daily basis um, so that when the time comes, this is now something that's innate in you to find your ability to regulate. Yet, you can't be obsessing about doing all those things because that too can be a trap. Yeah. I think it's, it's starting simple and not trying to uh, cut all of these thoughts and feelings at once. And that's something that a lot of athletes and performers experience is, well, I have 18,000 negative thoughts and all these self-deprecating things and I'm sabotaging myself in 8 million ways. So I must solve it all right now and solve all of them right now. And something that really helps me and others is what's one tolerable step you can take in this moment and if you have all of these thoughts and you you know you put them in a bucket and you draw one out I bet that one feels just as bad as they all do so it's it's just taking that one tolerable step because it's not going to change whether it's one or eight million like you still feel the same way so accepting that is very important because without accepting any of the things that you feel and just saying, okay, I see those, I accept those, that's the protector part of me coming online to protect me from failing. Cool, like, hey, little, you know, Carl, like, <laughs> I see that you're doing that. So what's one way that I can put that protector part, you know, aside? Is it a cold shower? Is it breath work? Is it going and sitting in the corner? And this is where I say it does not matter what it is that helps you regulate. It's trial and error, and it's finding a practice like that that works for you. I don't care how many three ways things are on Instagram that people say, great, try them all, see which one works. Because that, I could give 10 right now of different things that someone could do in those moments. But if you're at the height of something and you have 30 seconds to get your head out of your, you know, your thoughts out of your head, that's going to be different than if you have five hours. You can go on a walk and you can, right? So there's going to be a different prescription in that way for each of the scenarios. So it's trying something new and not being afraid to do it. And again, not staying so dogmatic in that one way of like, okay, well, I'm just going to go do 30 seconds of breath work and that helps every time, but like it didn't help this time. So something must be wrong, right? So being okay with being flexible in that. 
Um, but again, accepting before anything, because when you're resisting, you're going to continue, you just continue to put the armor on and it's not going anywhere. So it's like, cool. I see that. That is annoying. <laughs> we are like, that's fine that I think that I am a human being. That's fine. That sucks. I'm annoyed. And also let's take one tolerable step in this moment. And if it's taking the cold shower, which seems to help for you, then that's important. But you, you don't got to tackle the whole, you don't, you know, you don't have to hold it, row the whole ocean in that moment. And I think there's this, um, you know, this podcast specifically, uh, what it really is geared towards is to assist people in finding their own way. And although there is uh, a lot of uh, stuff that's backed by research and evidence-based and uh, then people have uh, specific methods on how they've arrived at certain points and they found clarity in certain aspects of their lives that are, are useful. Ultimately, my hope is that these conversations assist people in reflecting on their own process and creating their own way and, and thus being rooted in creativity and through that creativity, attracting the thing that they need and eventually what they want. It, it, that, that's kind of my hope. And I, and I just bring that up because as you were saying this, it was a great reminder for me and it feels very, yeah, fr freeing to use your, your words. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, so thank you for that. That's yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's n none of this is, um, rocket science and you can find these things anywhere you know and to your point about there's so many resources out there look i'm a big fan of nerding out over science and listening to all the things and again like you said you find your own way those are suggestions those are ways to work on getting closer to regulation whether it's using an apple watch or doing an ice bath or taping your mouth at night like all of this is helping us optimize our lives so find try things and find what feels good for you and that's when that whole feeling and being present in where you are that concept is really important because I think we can lose sight of that and try to just turn ourselves into these robots that need to do these things because you know so and so said it up um, so just getting, getting really, you know, clear with it's, it may take time if you haven't been a feeler, if you haven't been somebody that has tapped into that in your life, if you have been someone that goes by the metrics, goes by the playbooks, goes by the times, the clock, the, the stats, that's great. And also just as anything is, you know, you can only swing so far, like come back to center and center is you and center is who you are at your core and staying present with that it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not comfortable to be like, what do I feel? Is my chest tight? Am I anxious? What am I anxious about? How, why are my hands sweating? What, all of these are just messengers. It's not a sentence saying there's something wrong with you. You only, even you will know that, or, you know, of course, doctors and, and people in your life that help you with that, sure. But for, on a daily basis, listening in to these little cues our bodies are these miracles and we so like we're, we're trying really hard to understand them is basically what I am getting at. 
is that is that's a theme in sports. That's a theme in my life. It's like how can you get to a place where you are just better understanding yourself so that you can go out and help others? Right, right. Which which kind of brings me back to uh, the first place in your life resume that you remembered, which is art class, and that being an environment that produced a state of regulation, right? And then that being now expressed in a more contextual way when you were at Lakeside, for example. And and then that uh, blossoming in whatever way it had to blossom into you all of a sudden standing on the podium at the Olympics in Beijing, and that being like a thing, but ultimately that stemming or coming from an environment that allowed for regulation to occur. And I, I think uh, that what you have chosen to do now is to create that environment for yourself that allows you to now access the next level of performance. And while doing that, continuing to work with people and sharing, this is now the contribution part, uh, that which you've learned along the way. If that if that reflection <laughs> resonates with you, it's, per, it's summarized it beautifully because it's going from external to internal, it's going from internal to external to internal, and maybe that's life. We ebb and we flow, and that's a part of that, and that's a part of us. It's a macro level and a micro level. You know, you have chapters of your life where you are output. The output is big. You, you know, it's massive and then you have parts of your life where the input needs to be massive and i think that that is the beauty of being a human and not viewing it which is something i'm working on as selfish or as as you know as anything else other than just a part of the process of how can you become a more regulated human a more truthful human to yourself and therefore can share those gifts with the world without it needing to have, you know, the outcome that everyone tells you it needs to have. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that aligns very much with how I think, I, I think, for example, for me as a coach, I'm a, uh, a performance-based life coach. That's kind of what I, I am. Uh, if I, if I had to assign a role, for what I do. And the way that I think about it is I think, okay, we're all reflexively behaving, meaning we're just doing things because we're conditioned and that's producing certain results. Some of those results uh, serve us and some of those don't serve us. The results that don't serve us come from certain behaviors that when we identify them, now we can condition them, recondition them. And we do that through the deliberate practice and we deliberately recondition them until it becomes a reflex. It becomes just part of our instinctual way of doing things. It's it's just second nature, so to speak. It's um, part of our subconscious. And I, and I think the older we get <laughs> and the more conditioned we become in different areas, the more deliberate we have to be about how we choose to evolve. And I guess that's that's like responsibility, right? It's uh, we need to create the environments that are conducive for that. We need to create the practices. We, like, it, it all comes back to I am choosing to do the whatever. 
So I'm curious if if that is true to you. Um, if you don't have non-negotiable practices, I'm gonna just try to come back to this now. What environments have you noticed yourself putting yourself in regularly uh, over the last uh, couple months or or in 2023? I've really enjoyed putting myself in environments of health, uh, healthy living, whether that is, you know, I went to the XBT retreat, which was phenomenal. I loved every second of it. You're aligned with the people there. They're all there because they're curious and there was no huge outcome, which was beautiful. It's like you just learn. And and where was this in uh, Hawaii, Hawaii or where yeah. was it? Yeah. yeah. Kauai, Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. And then on a regular basis, same. Lots of walking, lots of nature, lots of people that want to have deeper conversations on the surface level. And that's, it's like the classic introvert line of like, you know, you hate small talk and you like exit quickly. You know, you, you want to like go deeper with, with people. And so those feel aligned to me. It feels more purposeful. It feels um, that freeing feeling. It feels creative. It gets my creative juices going. Um, and then I think in, in an interesting way, solitude and being okay with having that, not as a form of like, oh, God, I'm alone. It's been a long day, you know, of calls and helping and coaching and all of this, but rather a place of like, I'm just going to be with me. And, you know, it was very uncomfortable at first. Like, do I read a book? Like, what Like, what do I do? You know, like, what's the, what do I do with my time to myself? Like, you know, because before it was such a, like I said, a, a recovery. Like, it was a moment of like, okay, cool. Like, I don't have to hop on this or answer to this or do this. It's like, now I can just be. And I realized this sounds, you know, interesting coming from a woman, you know, that doesn't have children or, you know, doesn't have that kind of responsibility but I'm just speaking out in terms of obviously career related, you know, responsibilities as that come, you know, from that perspective. So those are environments that I really enjoy right now. And um, there's something about the curiosity of what's going to, you know, what the next chapter of whatever I choose to do, how much more elevated can I bring my gifts now that I've been wrestling with that, like, you know, identity piece or who am I really without all of these things and sitting still, who are you after sitting still for 10 months and being able to really recognize, okay, you thought you sat still before, but that was injury. You were still doing, you were still achieving. You still had something else to do. And now when there's nothing and, and you have to force yourself to look at yourself, and say, what the heck do I like in this life? Like, what do I want to do day to day? I don't freaking know. That is so incredibly humbling and uh, very difficult, very difficult. So um, health, deeper, intimate conversations and connections, and then solitude for the sake of solitude and for the sake of peace and not for the sake of getting away and escaping. 
Uh, I'm curious, um, with this uh, new project that you've uh, ventured uh, into, which is the More Than Movement newsletter, uh, can you can you give me a little idea of uh, how it came about and uh, what has surprised you about it so far? Yeah, how it came about um, was interesting. One of my friends in the field, he, he works with uh, athletes in transition from NCAA and does like in-person events and things like that, which is really great, really community-based. We had touch base and um, we both wanted a place to start sharing our voice that didn't feel so heavy and uh, not heavy. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, like there was an outcome to it. So we started this with like, let's just see where it goes. You know, who cares? Let's just write to write and like have fun with this every week and see what comes up for us. And um, it's been really nice in that way to not have an outcome and to not force that. But, you know, to know that that can be a possibility and, and to change things and do do what feels right and uh, write about what feels right in the moment, not just what, it, you know, is latest in the news or, you know, whatever. Um, so it just kind of happened. We were just talking one day, like, let's just write. This is important. Uh, our voices matter in this space. And how can we help people find a place where they can understand mental health? for athletes, for coaches, uh, without it needing, you know, to be 18 articles on the internet, they have to sift through, but rather one place where they can like, okay, okay, I read this. I have a perspective. Now I can go and find my way with this information. Um, that was the goal. So, Mm -hmm. and who's, who's your partner in this? Corey camp. He, he was a former swimmer as well. Um, great, great kid. Uh, just has a lot of passion for, that field and is doing wonderful things for his peers. Um, yeah, it, it it's an interesting, again, another interesting place to be in saying, okay, see where something goes. Mm-hmm. And, and have you had any interesting responses to the newsletter? We have actually a lot of people that work in the athletic department of, of different universities really like that. It's like one stop. Like they can find a one-stop shop for this because, uh, you know, I worked at the University of Tennessee in life skills for two years uh, when I was in grad school for sports psych. And there's a lot out there that you have to sift through and figure out and find. And I remember doing the same thing. Like, yeah, how am I going to ingest all this information when I have to meet with 12 athletes today? And, you know, um, so just really trying to simplify things for people to where they have the choice if they want to learn more, they can click on a few links. If they have the choice if they want to dive further, they can, you know, go look up some of the the concepts we talked about in the hyperlinks, et cetera. It's just, it's just a place where they can land and feels like less they have to go searching for about what's going on and, and what topics are being talked about. It's like a helpful thing to, to have. So um, it's been fun. We'll see where it goes, but it's been really, it's been enjoyable to have a place to talk about this that also challenges me in the writing sense. Where, where can people go to uh, subscribe for the newsletter? Uh, morethanmovement.com, uh, or no, sorry, mtmnewsletter.com, and then More Than Movement, uh, I believe, is everywhere else, but like on the on the handles, it's MTM Newsletter, but like LinkedIn is More Than Movement Newsletter, things like that, full name for 
for that. But uh, mtmnewsletter.com um, or our profiles have the link for the Instagram. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll link all that that in the description. Uh, Caroline, any final words, anything uh, before we depart? I feel like I need to I need to ask you a million questions because now you have me curious on certain parts of your life that that resonate. But uh, I really appreciate it. I think the um, the beauty of being an athlete in the creative space is that you can identify with both, and finding how to own that is a journey. So if you resonate with both being an athlete and a creative and sometimes don't know which end to land at, you don't have to land it either. You can kind of sit in the middle of both and be uh, okay on that journey. So I think that's just something that's important to me at this pivotal time. And it's it's interesting you bring this up because um, Miguel Rosario, who uh, his breaking name is Gravity, uh, who's uh, in, uh, in the process of qualifying for uh, Paris 2024, he says the new athletes are artists. I just think this is the this is the next conversation, you know, like I I don't know, something tells me in my gut that sports really going to evolve and it's it's really going to become something beautiful and creative and artistic and um these conversations may feel weird and out there right now, but I really do think there's a thread that we can carry with us as we continue onward with identity and with figuring out how to enjoy and be present in all of the accomplishments and the achieving and the doing and how you can have it all, but know when to toggle the switch. And um, I don't know. I just have a, a hunch that that can be part of the future of, of sport. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the creative process and, and I'm, I, I want to be careful to not open up another can of worms here, but uh, I think, I think the creative process is fundamental to uh, uh, performing at the highest level because the creative process leads to uh, new methods, new ways, new perspectives on how to adapt a method, a mechanism that allows you to, I don't know if you're a swimmer, uh, I think I heard on a podcast uh, something crazy that you would show up and you had to do nine 1650s or yeah, something, something like that. crazy like that, yeah. That's pretty crazy stuff. Uh, that that's pretty overwhelming, and I understand that volume is important, and and that uh, if you want to be a better swimmer, you got to swim. But I think everybody is different, and being able to find the individualized prescription is going to require a creative uh, mind. Yes, I one hundred percent, and I think there's a lot of professional al athletes out there that are far more creative outside of their sport than we're realizing. And, you know, you can look at the Caleb Dressels with the music and, you know, there's a lot of people out there. And I think that it, it's to be embraced and celebrated and uh, elevated mm -hmm. as we continue. All right. Let, let's just leave it at that at that for now. And, and it will have to be to to be continued. Otherwise, we'll go for another three hours. Um, Caroline, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Um, I, I, I always enjoy our conversations and the insight that you provide. And I, um, I not only admire you for how you navigate 
the world, but I, I also um, in ways try to emulate um, in some way. So I appreciate you for uh, guiding me. Well, thank you. I feel very similar. I, I have my favorite quotes from you written everywhere. So I really appreciate your friendship and your guidance. That's amazing. Thank you. All right. Until next time. All right. This is the Freestyle Way. Yeah.